welcome to the Legal Legal Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a devastating effect on many countries, and the United States government has recently acknowledged that this pandemic could cause an excess of 200,000 deaths in the coming months. Like all challenges faced in this country, the effects may be felt more by the African-American community. As a group, African-Americans in the United States have higher rates of poverty, housing and food insecurity, unemployment or underemployment, and chronic medical conditions and disabilities, which makes the African-American community even more vulnerable to the COVID-19 pandemic. On this evening's show, we're gonna talk about the impact this pandemic is having on the African-American community. And joining us for this discussion is Leonard Dunstan, who is the convener of the Black Family Summit. Mr. Dunstan, thank you so much for joining us this evening. First, let me give you and uh, attorney uh, Irv Joyner my profound thanks and gratitude for the invitation. And I also would be remiss were I not to uh, congratulate the two of you for consistently providing a platform uh, and a verb, a medium through which uh, you are able to help educate uh, and inform our community about a myriad uh, issues that uh, we should be more conversant about. Well, thank you for that. So why don't we start by having you describe to our listeners what the Black Family Summit is? Thank you. Uh, the Black Family Summit, I, I want to be respectful of time, so I don't want to be all over the map, but I think it's always important to put uh, the Black Family Summit's uh, history uh, in context. Uh, as everyone will remember, in 2004, we had uh, the Hurricane Katrina hit uh, New Orleans, and uh, out of that came an opportunity for us to uh, begin to look at ways in which we could support the families that were going to be displaced across the country. So under the leadership of the uh, Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, he invited me to join him at uh, Howard University on October the 14th, 2004, to uh, pull together 35 black professional organizations uh, to figure out ways in which their chapters could be of assistance to the families that were going to be displaced across the country. We subsequently followed that up uh, the following January, went to New Orleans and did a visual tour of, of the Ninth Ward and all of the other impacted areas. Uh, there were 18 of those 20, 36 original members who accompanied us. Uh, we did a series of uh, town hall meetings with some of the black uh, elected officials such as Maxine Water, Benny Thompson and others. 
We also simultaneously, while we were there, set up healing circles for uh, black professional firefighters and uh, police, because if you will remember, they were uh, the first responders who were also the observers of uh, families, uh, individuals, I should say, who were floating down the Canal Street and all the other areas. So their emotional status was really critical. Uh, so we were able to set up some healing circles for them. And I will not go into uh, great details regarding uh, what that entails. Suffice it to say, now 15 years later, we are still uh, at the we're in the process of responding to another uh, critical issue that's impacting our community, and that's COVID-19. But in between that, we've had uh, innumerable uh, hurricanes, and they have impacted our communities here in North Carolina, as well as I don't need to share with anyone on this call the number of other states that have been impacted. That also relates to uh, other so-called human-made crises, such as uh, the Flint water crisis, and a couple of other areas. Newark, New Jersey has had some issues with its water system. So what we do uh, through the Black Family Summit is convene these Black professional organizations and to help figure out ways in which their areas of expertise can be supportive of the communities that are so adversely impacted, including the one that we're going to talk about uh, in just a few minutes, and that's the COVID-19 issue. All right, and so could you provide us with uh, some of the organizations that are working together collectively to try to address uh, the current issue that we're faced with, but also some of these past challenges that the community has faced? Yes, uh, organizations like the uh, National Medical Association, the uh, Association of uh, Black Psychologists, the uh, National Dental Association, uh, the National uh, Black Nurses Association. I think I mentioned already the National Medical Association of Black Social Workers, um, veterans. Uh, we have uh, police, that's the USA Black Police Association. We have the formerly incarcerated uh, organizations. One is called Community Reentry. Uh, I could go on. They are all together at currently, there are 27, I'm sorry, 29 of those organizations. But we are focused uh, not exclusively, but primarily on what we call refer to as the healing organizations. That's the National Medical Association the Black Psychiatrists of America, the National Black Nurses Association, the National Black Social Workers, and the Black Administrators in Child Welfare, whose primary focus is on children and uh, youth. So those are, and we also have an organization called the Community Healing Network, which uh, is really focused on retrieving uh, the best practices of who we are as African people, because in this healing, we found that if you kind of have a good sense of your history, it helps you, it reinforces who you are, and you're able to better cope with some of the challenges that we're facing. Uh, specifically, I don't know whether you're ready for me to go into some more specifics, because I can uh, do that in just a second if you would like for me to. 
Well, let me let me just kind of raise raise it uh, this way. As I look at the numbers uh, uh, now, uh, there are in excess of uh, two hundred thousand uh, reported cases of uh, coronavirus uh, infections in this country. There are roughly a million uh, around the uh, around the world, and in the United States, there are approximately forty five hundred. Uh, people who have died as a uh, result of the uh, corona uh, virus, and uh, at this junction, uh, there are roughly thirty thousand uh, cases in New York City, uh, New York State, uh, along with the majority of those being in uh, in New York uh, City. Uh, and one of the kind of missing links. Uh, that uh, we have, and uh, I think April started us out, you know, by talking about the uh, specific issues affecting African Americans as it relates to uh, poverty, lack of medical care, and a number of other things. But has there been any uh, clear delineation of how many African Americans have been uh, uh, impacted by this uh, coronavirus up to uh, this point, or are we kind of dealing with um, anecdotal uh, information about the uh, scope of the uh, harm and impact that suffered uh, by African Americans? Uh, unfortunately, um, Professor Joyner, at this juncture, it's pretty much anecdotal. We have uh, a committee um, that's called the uh, Black Family Summit FEMA uh, Task Force. Uh, which really relates to a memorandum of agreement that we've had with FEMA since, uh, I think it was 2016, no, specifically September 2016, which essentially allows us to help uh, FEMA redirect and direct its resources into impacted uh, Black communities. But to get to answer your question specifically, the task force has been calling all of the information that it can get from people, from organizations and like WHO and uh, specifically uh, John Hopkins uh, University. That task force is uh, chaired and coordinated by two persons, uh, Dr. Lucy Perez, who is the 100 and I think second uh, past president of the National Medical Association and brother Yusuf Muhammad who is uh, past president of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters, but his area of expertise is emergency management. So they have been trying to find the information you are asking. And at this juncture, to my knowledge, at least as of today, we do not have, we do not have a comprehensive list of uh, what the numbers look like for the black community. But what we can speculate is that uh, just looking at New York City, uh, when you look at where East Elmhurst Hospital is uh, located and a significant number of the other hospitals, they are in predominantly, uh, especially the city hospitals in New York City. There are nine of those. And I used to be the advisory chairperson of one that's now closed that was Sydenham Hospital in Harlem. But we do have contacts, uh, continuous contacts with staff at the Harlem Hospital and several others, but my point very simply is that when they are talking about anecdotally, as you said earlier, 
what the statistics look like. They are primarily black and uh, Latino uh, residents who are being impacted. So I'm hoping that over the next uh, few days, we'll be able to come up with something that's much more exact and comprehensive. You know, and, and, and in that regard, I uh, had the occasion uh, earlier in the uh, week to look at a uh, mapping of the uh, locations or communities in New York uh, that were hardest hit uh, by the uh, corona coronavirus uh, there. And uh, those traditional uh, African-American communities showed up highest on those charts, Harlem, uh, Bed-Stuy, uh, Canarsie, uh, Bushwick, uh, Crown Heights, uh, and those areas in which large numbers of uh, African-Americans uh, and they kind of mirrored uh, the, uh, uh, the information provided by April at the beginning in terms of the social economic uh, demographics uh, that, uh, that, that, that we have. Uh, and uh, so from that, I mean, you, you can glean that there is a heavy hit uh, for uh, for African Americans, and uh, so uh, that information would be helpful uh, to us. But I think that as we kind of look around and we we talk to people, uh, we see uh, that there is a large number of African American. Or another way of looking at it is to see definitely that uh, we are uh, the face of this uh, virus here in the uh, in the United States. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, those communities that you just described, uh, which parallel, I, sh I should say, to the uh, storms, Superstorm Sandy in particular that hit New York uh, back in, I think, it was 2015. It was those communities that were most heavily uh, impact. You mentioned Canarsie. You mentioned probably you mentioned Coney Island. And there's the Arbor and section of Queens. All of those communities, as, and then when you move back into the other boroughs, specifically into the Bronx and Manhattan, Harlem in particular, has been heavily uh, hit. I've had several conversations with uh, friends from that area. And again, these are not just anecdotes. These are, in fact, uh, concrete examples. You know, there are about at least four black ministers who have succumbed to uh, to this virus just in Harlem alone. I was just on the phone with some friends from Brooklyn and those key areas that you hit, Crown Heights, Bed-Stuy and all of those areas, they are being severely uh, impacted. And then you move to Queens and you know the geography of that area. And that's why East, uh, the Elmhurst Hospital is so central to the work that's going on because again, all of those low-income black communities around East Elmhurst are adversely impacted. Then you take it nationally. If you look at uh, what's happening uh, in New Orleans, if you look at what's happening uh, in Detroit, in, in Chicago, uh, Atlanta is on the rise. And then you go back to the DMV, uh, DC, Maryland, and the parts of Virginia. Anywhere where you have a significant uh, black population, they are being hard hit already. So we really don't need to even 
uh, worry, not worry, that's not the word I want to use. There, we, don't, we do need statistics. I, I want to make sure that that's clear. We need statistics because we're going to look, need to look at what other resources are necessary to begin to make those communities whole after this pandemic is over. But in the meantime, we just know uh, that our communities are being impacted in ways that no other communities are being impacted. And, you know, that raises this myth that was circulating around just a few weeks ago that was suggesting that uh, Black folk were immune to COVID-19. Can you talk about why that may have, why that myth uh, may have gotten some traction and uh, is it dispelled? Um, But we're going to have to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have you uh, talk about that a little bit. But you are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking with Leonard Dunstan, who is the convener of the Black Family Summit. And this hour, we've been talking about the impact that COVID-19 is having on the Black community. We're going to take a quick break, but we hope you stay with us. We'll be right back. My name is Reginald Woods II, and I am a current 1L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law, and these are your weekly announcements. On Wednesday, April the 15th, from 6 o'clock p.m. to 8 o'clock p.m., the Virtual Justice Project, in partnership with the Juvenile Justice Clinic, will host a tele-event regarding how to effectively wrap up your child's academic year. For more information regarding the law school and any of its upcoming events, please refer to the NCCU School of Law website at law.nccu.edu. My name is Reginald Woods II, and this has been your weekly announcements. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with Leonard Dunstan, who is the convener for the Black Family Summit. And we've been talking about the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic is having on the African-American community. Uh, Leonard, right before the break, we were talking about the fact that the African-American community, the Black community is not immune, but there had been rumors or myths that were circulating around in the community that Black folks were not susceptible. And wanted to get your thoughts on uh, why it was that that might have been um, something that was perpetuated. And, and is that myth dispelled? Well, first of all, let me say, uh, no, the myth has not been completely uh, dispelled. However, I think uh, we always have to go back and look at uh, the plight of African people, black people in this country historically. Uh, The Tuskegee uh, model is certainly something that uh, always resonates in our minds when we begin to hear about uh, viruses and other issues related to medical uh, uh, procedures or whatever, what have you. Uh, Then you you layer on that uh, the Katrina experience. Uh, Before uh, Conway West lost his mind, 
he was absolutely correct when he said that uh, Bush almost, and I, I'm sort of quoting him verbatim, uh, verbatim uh, hates black people. Well, we have always had to live under uh, conditions that no other group in this country has to live under. And oftentimes, our people find this a very difficult conversation to have. Uh, there are those who think that we have made it in this life. But when it comes to disparate treatment, be that medical, social, economic, economics, what have you, there is no myth to that. So for the brother in the street who uh, is not as informed as some of us are, the first thing that they will say, and it's, an, it's almost like an intuitive reaction, oh, that's, that's something that uh, the man is uh, going to inflict on us. Uh, let me give you an example of wh how pervasive this myth has become. We have uh, what's called the All Healers Mental Health Alliance, uh, which is a configuration of uh, black social workers, black psychologists, black psychiatrists, uh, some uh, faith leaders. We've been convening this call every two weeks since 2000, since Hurricane uh, Katrina hit. On a call a month ago, uh, a sister who is a uh, professor at Case Western Reserve, uh, she's a nurse by training, uh, she's the dean of uh, a nursing there at Case Western Reserve. She has a mentorship program that she and her sorority has been conducting for several years. And they were having a session, uh, I guess it's now been about five weeks ago. And she raised the question of, are you taking care of your families? Or are you all aware of this epidemic? So when she described what the epidemic was, uh, there were... 20 students, eight graders through 12th graders. And without exception, she said, they all said that that was a, this a farce. That's not going to impact uh, us as black people. And a couple of students, I guess they were high schoolers, she said, said, well, you know, because of our melanin content, we are immune from any kind of viruses that will kill us. So when we heard that on the call, we immediately said, oh, now it's time for us to respond. So that's why we pulled together a task force to begin to kind of uh, help demystify uh, these myths that are out there and to give our folk a more informed uh, understanding of the adverse impact of this virus. So we have what's evolved now into what we are calling a evolving fact sheet, which we are updating every day and gonna try and get it out to our community through various mediums. I share that with you because I also saw as recently as day before yesterday, a video clip of uh, a sister in Harlem. Uh, it, it, the clip couldn't have been more than three days old. And what she was saying is that Folk in Harlem, now this is despite the fact that uh, Governor Cuomo has, you know, uh, imposed this, um, whatever it is, restriction on uh, um, coming together. Well, in black communities, there are always going to be hustlers. So there was a restaurant, uh, I'm not going to try and characterize it in any kind of racial terms, but this restaurant uh, was open and people were coming in buying the foods that they enjoy most. And the point that I want to make here is that this young lady said people were using and hugging each other in this restaurant right there in Harlem no less than five days ago. 
The other piece I want to focus on has to do with uh, the playgrounds. And again, going back to our community, especially uh, in New York. I reference New York a lot because Irv and I, uh, you know, lived most of our life there. So we know that community extraordinarily well. The playgrounds, you know, brothers are still out playing ball. So what they're doing now, the governor just as of today imposed a restriction, had to close all the parks. So the message has not been penetrating our communities deeply enough. So we're trying to use all kinds of media, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and others. And we're trying to also employ uh, members of the hip hop community to uh, use their messaging to get this out to our communities because our communities will listen to certain people. And oftentimes it's not us who are the elders, but it's those who converse with them in the language that they best understand. And, you know, the, uh, you, you make the point about it's not uh, the elders, but in many instances, the uh, elders are the one, ones who are more vulnerable uh, to, uh, to this virus. Uh, and I recall early on uh, that there was this uh, idea that young people uh, cannot be uh, impacted by coronavirus because they don't have any of the uh, underlying uh, symptoms or underlying diseases. Uh, that uh, makes one more vulnerable uh, to that. But I think that uh, statistics show that that's a lie, uh, that uh, no matter what the age is, if you're a newborn all the way up to the uh, last to die, uh, that you can be impacted by this thing. And one of the things that is very clear is that this is not a hoax, uh, that there are people who have, uh, who have died and there are African-Americans who have died, that this coronavirus uh, knows no race, uh, no income level or professional uh, protection that's provided uh, as a result of being uh, this, that, or the, uh, the other. I, I, you know, you talk about uh, New York, but here in uh, North Carolina, uh, we've had uh, a wide range of people who have uh, been infected by the coronavirus and are now having to uh, dig themselves out uh, from it. And this uh, social distancing, dis distancing uh, that has been uh, imposed is something uh, that we're not sure will work, but it's the best option that we have. And if you're going to uh, protect yourself from these underlying illnesses that uh, are more uh, profoundly impacted by this, then you, ne you need to follow uh, the directions that, uh, that you give. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Irv and uh, Attorney April, you know, I, what, what, what resonates with me uh, about your last comment, uh, um, Attorney Joyner, is the uh, McDougal terrorist community. Uh, they are already um, enduring some of the most horrific displacements that one could uh, encounter. And now, if my memory serves me correctly, there was a hotel here in the Raleigh-Durham area where some, uh, some religious group uh, went to uh, the hotel. And now that virus has, uh, um, uh, has some kind of way spread and the members of some of the members of that McDougal community are already being impacted. But then you take it back to those who have returned 
to uh, McDougal Terrace and other low-income housing developments, the question becomes, you know, what's happening to them? So that's one of the things that we are trying to do through the Black Family Summit is to have this information trickle down to uh, all of our communities throughout this country and uh, figure out ways in which this the facts of the, the impact of this virus can be appropriately shared. So this opportunity just to share, to chat with uh, you and Attorney April is uh, cleansing for me because I'm hoping that as a result of this, there'll be listeners who will begin to think about this and use their mediums of communications with communities that some of us don't have access to to convey the gravity of, uh, of this disease, of this virus. You know, you were talking about, we've been talking about the social distancing and the impact on uh, communities where housing is not secure. Um, and also, Leonard, when you were talking about the children still wanting to go to the playgrounds and play ball, and when we kind of think about the community and we think about the children and not having those outlets, we think about the schools being closed and the impact that that's having on the young people, the impact that that's having on uh, the parents and the caretakers. Uh, and then we think about the, the food issue. So you've got some children who actually depended upon school for their meals. Can you talk about the, and, and the African-American community as a group has to deal with more stress anyway. Can you talk about how this additional, these additional stressors are impacting uh, the community and what folks can do to try and just deal with these challenges and these additional uh, stresses. I wish I had uh, a formula, uh, Attorney uh, Dawson, but you raise uh, just the kind of issues that we are grappling with now through the Black Family Summit. I've, uh, as recently as last night, I've come up with uh, categories of these organizations that I'm asking them to come up with some solutions, some projects. Uh, as to how we can begin to share that kind of information with uh, the cross-section of our communities that oftentimes, uh, because of their economic status, uh, are required to uh, not have access to uh, outlets that others might have. And as you uh, talk, uh, the word creativity uh, just naturally came to my mind. While this is a, a, a tragedy of uh, unknown proportions, it also is an opportunity for us to use our creative genius to come up with ways in which we can share ideas uh, with our communities as to how better they can provide uh, unparalleled kinds of, and, and probably some non, very non-traditional ways of servicing our communities. I am in the process of trying to get uh, social workers here in this area to begin to think creatively about how can we provide outlets for these young people? Because naturally, they it's it, it's understand it's understandable that you can't stay confined constantly and not uh, have repercussions from that. What this is going to do is exacerbate this continued confinement. What it's going to do, unfortunately, is to continue to exacerbate the sexual abuse that's so rampant, which is uh, one of those kind of conversations that we are not having in our community. And I'm, I'm always lifting it up because 
our sisters, women in particular, are being uh, attacked in ways that are just it's just unbelievable to me. When I began to look at the halfway homes and the like that uh, we're having in the communities at large to begin to establish to have safe spaces for uh, women during this virus epidemic, it's just going to be exploding uh, exponentially. So we've got to, as a community, and I don't have all the answers by any stretch of the imagination, so I don't want to present myself as having the answers, but I think collectively through these organizations, uh, once we have uh, set up the kind of uh, uh, comportments, that's not the best word, but uh, disciplines and areas of expertise, come up with ideas for how children can be uh, entertained in very healthy uh, and safe ways within their own homes and within the local uh, community in which they are living. That's what we have to work on. I don't have, unfortunately, I don't have that answer at the top of my uh, head, but we are working on it. And what are some of the other focuses and concerns? So you had mentioned what 29 organizations that cover such a broad range and the collective knowledge that the Black Family Summit has at its disposal is uh, so needed right now. What are some of the other areas of concern, uh, specific areas that, that you all are focusing on and hoping to address? Well, there's the incarcerated and the fallen incarcerated populations. Well, luckily there are a number of legal organizations such as the National Conference of Black Lawyers who are looking at uh, policies and programs that would uh, lengthen or provide opportunities for those who are incarcerated but have uh, minimal uh, kinds of charges against them to, uh, to be released uh, back into the community with uh, hopefully some support systems. Uh, the other areas that we are extremely concerned about is the homeless uh, population. And uh, there's a, an organization uh, that's a part of the Black Family Summit that is beginning to offer suggestions about how to connect. And again, one of those is the National Conference of Black Lawyers. They have uh, a committee. Uh, they're based primarily out of D.C., but uh, they're trying to set up a model that could be like the prototype for these other communities for the homeless uh, population. But the formerly incarcerated and the incarcerated populations are really at the uh, fore of what we are trying to do in terms of coming up with alternative programs and looking at potential legislation that uh, communities can bring to their um, uh, legislative leaders uh, at the local as well as the state level. Uh, the other area of concern are veterans, black veterans. They already have come, they come to uh, this experience, you know, with uh, a plethora of uh, especially mental health challenges. So we're trying to figure out through our clinicians, how can we, and one of the organizations that is a part of Black Family Summit is the Black Veterans of America. Uh, it's headed by, incidentally, a former lieutenant uh, colonel who resides uh, in Charlotte. So he was on, we had a conference call last Friday night, which Erd was on. I really, let me just digress for one second, Attorney uh, April, if I could. I really want to lift up uh, Erd for joining 
our conference call last Friday night where we had 75 plus, we're not sure the exact number, but there's between 75 and 90 uh, folk from across the country on our conference call. And they represented all the various disciplines that I'm talking about now. So uh, veterans, homeless, uh, and formerly incarcerated and incarcerated persons are some of the uh, primary uh, populations that we are most concerned about. Okay, let me uh, just say that we're on the Legal Legal Review and uh, we're talking about the uh, coronavirus and its impact on the uh, African-American community uh, of Lenny Dunstan, who is the uh, convener of the uh, Black Family uh, Summit, uh, has joined with us this evening for this discussion. But right now, we're going to have to take our uh, break. I want you to uh, stay with us, and uh, we will be be, uh, right back. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. Thank you so very much for uh, staying with us uh, this evening. This is a a very uh, important topic that we are dealing with. It is one that has already proven to have had significant impact on our community. And the uh, projections are that this this impact uh, will uh, increase in uh, in coming weeks and uh, so we need to be uh, prepared for it and one of the ways that we can be prepared for it is by uh, spreading good information uh, about uh, the impact of this uh, virus on our community and uh, one of the things that uh, is critical that we dispel is the notion that this is a uh, a hoax uh, and that uh, somehow uh, people can go about uh, their lives in the same way that they've done uh, before and be protected uh, from it. Uh, at the beginning of this uh, discussion, uh, April talked about a number of factors that uh, make uh, make it uh, uh, make African Americans more vulnerable uh, to this uh, disease. Uh, But one of the things that we've not talked about is the fact that of the populations that are in positions where they can work now, many are heavily dominated or participated in by African-Americans and uh, and Latinos and uh, such that they are finding themselves on the front line. So uh, not only uh, do we uh, have concerns for those people uh, who uh, are able to stay at home, but also those people now who are on the front lines, who are at the uh, department stores, who are at the uh, grocery stores, those individuals who are uh, collecting uh, uh, garbage uh, out in the uh, uh, community, hourly workers, uh, uh, construction workers that uh, are still working despite uh, everything else that's uh, that's going on, and and all of that, which uh, uh, is necessary to putting food on the table, also opens us up uh, for uh, uh, contacting or contracting uh, with this uh, with this virus. So we need to be uh, aware of that and uh, help people to um, uh, understand uh, that we need to be protective 
and we need to uh, to stay safe. Uh, now, one of the things that uh, we've re recently run into is that the federal government has enacted some legislation uh, which uh, is providing uh, financial uh, uh, incentives uh, for people in the, uh, the communities. And uh, I received a notice recently that uh, scammers are already uh, out in the marketplace in large numbers seeking to disrupt uh, this flow of financial uh, uh, contributions or this money that is supposed to be going to individuals within the community and trying to uh, get that money uh, through various scams and other kind of fraudulent uh, activities. Uh, Lenny, has uh, the uh, uh, coalition that you work, that you're working with uh, paid any attention to that, uh, that issue? I can't say that we have. Uh, on the call two weeks ago was uh, a brother who was the former executive director of the National Black Police Association. He was raised. He had raised something similar to what you uh, shared, uh, Attorney Joyner, uh, but he did not go into as great a detail because at the time, to my knowledge, uh, the um, the the bill uh, had not been yet yeah, had not passed. So uh, he was just saying on the call that we should be aware that based on his police experience as uh, not only a former uh, police officer, but uh, he was also in a high administrative position with the D.C. Department of Police. It's this kind of environment, he says, where this kind of uh, hustler mentality really uh, uh, begins to germinate. And it comes, it bubbles up in so many different uh, ways. Uh, and because we are a very... Uh, warm and uh, receiving community, meaning black people, we are very susceptible to anything that sounds like it might be helpful to us. And before we know it, we have uh, shared more information about our private uh, financial situation than we even recognize. And because this has also, unfortunately, international uh, implications, because there are various rings and I'm sure you and Attorney Dawson have is aware of it. Uh, unfortunately, a number of those are coming out of Nigeria, and they are using our innumerable schemes to dupe our people. So what you're sharing with me is something that I'm not that conversant about, but I know that tangentially it intersects with other schemes that are always imposed in our communities when we're under this kind of stress. Yeah, and you know, yeah, just you know, added stress. Um, Irv, you were talking about some of those essential workers uh, who may not have been deemed "quote unquote" essential a month ago uh, are still working, and uh, we really appreciate what they're doing, and we need to support them during this time and also after this crisis has passed. Uh, mm -hmm. But there are a lot within our community, a lot of individuals within our community who have lost their jobs uh, because of downsizing of businesses. Um, and so they find themselves in really challenging financial circumstances. 
Uh, Leonard, you had mentioned the community healing networks. Can you talk about the purpose and goals of that network? Yeah, I, I want to be succinct about that one. That one speaks specifically, uh, Attorney uh, April, to uh, us remembering who we are as uh, African people. Uh, as a result of the Ma'afra oh, and all of the other adverse uh, interruptions in our history in this country, we have lost the essence of who we are as Black people. So we are very spiritual people. We are a loving people. We, there are values that uh, we have held dear for generations after generations. So what the Community Healing Network attempts to do is to remind us of who we once were, not suggesting that we abandon our, our space at this time in this, in this world, in this country, but there are cultural nuances that are unique to Black people. Uh, you know, just small things like being raised, uh, if you were raised in New York, you remember that if you went out on the street, there were people who always looked out of the window and said, hey, I'm watching you. Uh, on and on I could go. It doesn't matter where you are. Every place we grew up in this country, uh, there were support systems available to us. We have lost uh, that. So the Community Healing Network, uh, which is uh, convened by attorney uh, Enola Aird and is supported by, the work that they do is supported by the Association of Black Psychologists. They developed a model. As a matter of fact, we're in the process as we speak, uh, once I get off this call, I got to facilitate another call to talk about how we can have that expanded. So we expanded it across the country, and I'm hoping that at some point there'll be an interest here in North Carolina to bring it to North Carolina. That's one piece. You talked about, uh, and I hope I know we're kind of running out of time, and I really wanted to talk about another project that uh, we are going to begin to implement within the next, uh, hopefully, week. But I hope that was kind of helpful in some ways, uh, Sister. Um, April. Oh, absolutely. And and what's the other project that you all are working on? Well, because of the focus uh, now on East Elmhurst, uh, New York, uh, we have begun to devise a plan, and it's going to be focused specifically on first responders. It's going to be focused on dietitians, uh, those staff persons who are in the belly of the beast. They not only are the teach, not teachers, the medical doctors and the nurses the front lines, but oftentimes we forget about the dietitians, uh, the staff that cleans up, uh, the custodian staff, and all of that. They are, and that is predominantly wherever you go, they are predominantly black people. So we are setting up a mechanism where anyone who feels stressed out uh, in the New York City metropolitan area, we're going to expand it to uh, New Jersey. Uh, within the next, uh, hopefully, uh, week maximally, two weeks maximally, a, a call-in line where if you're feeling under severe stress, you just want to talk to somebody, they can come onto the line and a trained social worker, psychologist, or psychiatrist will receive, will have them engage in a conversation. If they need further, uh, you know, more extensive counseling, then we're hoping to have a, a list of uh, clinicians who will be available to provide services at either free or at, at the pro bono, I mean, pro bono services free or at a sliding scale fee. 
so that uh, they can uh, begin to begin, uh, become healed. We're going to set up healing sessions, group healing sessions. All this is being done virtually. And I'm happy to uh, say that uh, we're about to get a grant from a funder that we've been working on for several years now. And uh, they see the value and the utility of this because, again, that population in New York City, those first responders are just, I, I don't have to tell you and uh, Attorney Joyner wh what kind of stress, the unbelievable stress that they're under and they need an outlet. And, and, and people, people, I think, can understand uh, many of the stresses, uh, economic stresses in particular, uh, yes. that people are encountering. Uh, now, we, we're right now at the uh, beginning of the month uh, when yes. uh, rent is due. Yes. And uh, there are many people who don't have uh, the rent. We're at the point that uh, gas bills, electric bills, and other utility bills uh, uh, do and I think uh, you know, for instance, here in in North Carolina, uh, we've had uh, action by the governor of the state, uh, which has uh, uh, directed utility companies not to uh, cut off people uh, from utility services uh, during this time, or at least for the next thirty uh, days. Uh, we've had uh, directives to uh, landlords uh, not to uh, seek to evict. Uh, people from homes uh, during this 30-day uh, uh, period. Uh, so there are a lot of efforts that's uh, designed to uh, prevent or to curtail uh, efforts to uh, uh, get people uh, who don't have money, who are experiencing uh, some uh, economic trauma, uh, so that that tension does not uh, increase. So uh, we're thankful for that. And people in the community needs to pass along the message that mm -hmm. uh, if there are some uh, bills that's due, uh, let them go. Uh, yeah. no, no, no one is going to be uh, uh, taking anybody into bankruptcy or getting uh, lawsuits uh, filed uh, against anybody for not paying uh, any bills. But then again, that's not enough uh, because people still have concerns that even when this crisis is over, uh, those bills will still be uh, uh, in front of them that they will have to uh, have to pay. But uh, I think that right now we need to press the message that we all need to be safe. We don't need to engage in risky uh, behavior uh, to the extent possible. We should uh, seek to uh, to lower our level of stress. And I know that that is a major thing uh, with families with a bunch of children uh, running around who are very active uh, right now. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we, 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 we're going to get through this. And uh, we need to know that we are going to, uh, to get through this, but we need to take some proactive steps uh, to protect ourselves and to present, prevent ourselves and those around us from engaging in risky conduct because the risky conduct of people around you can be as dangerous as being around the enemies uh, that you might have uh, within your community. Well said. Uh, well Leonard, said. I, yeah. I wanted to get your thoughts on 
I guess the nature of this crisis in comparison to some of the other uh, crises that that your organization have, has lended support to. So um, you mentioned Katrina, you mentioned you know other hurricanes. This is a, a unique crisis in the sense that it's affecting the entire country as opposed mm-hmm. to just a particular segment. And so we see, you know, the country now starting to kind of come together collectively. Do you have any thoughts about whether this collective support will be lasting? Uh, and, and what do you hope to see continue after we've gotten through this pandemic? Yeah, uh, you, you, you framed and said uh, really uh, everything that I would probably uh, say in terms of answering your question, Attorney April. Uh, this is the most unique epidemic that, uh, and pandemic that uh, our community has ever faced, at least in my lifetime. Uh, so what, what I'm so encouraged by is the extremely positive response that we've received from every Black organization. There, it, it's unparalleled in my uh, organizing, and I will not go into the length of time that I've been trying to do organizing work, but I have never, ever seen uh, the positive response to this issue as we have experienced over the last uh, three weeks. There is not an organization that's a part of our configuration who is not working out uh, plans as to how they, based on their area of expertise, can provide services to our most marginalized communities, especially in the Black community. That gives me great comfort. It gives me encouragement. And I also should say that in the faith-based and spiritual community, uh, there has also been, and they are part of our configuration. We have an organization called the Samuel Bit Proctor Conference, which is headed by Dr. Ivor Carruthers. She's the general secretary out of Chicago. Uh, they are mobilizing uh, black preachers across all denominations to address this issue. Uh, the Nation of Islam is involved and I, it's, I think what we are developing is a model that will help us uh, begin to heal our communities and also re- or resurrect that spirit that once resided within our communities. I know I'm, I keep talking back, talking about back in the day, but it, this is this is an opportunity for us to be use our creative genius in ways that we never imagined. And once we do that then as that old uh, African proverb uh, goes, you know, working together, the ants ate the elephant. We're going we're gonna to devour this sucker called uh, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. And so if someone would like to get more information about the Black Family Summit, where can they go? They can go to our website. That would be where I would recommend they go. That's www.ibw. 21.org. Again, www.ibw21.org and just click on to the Black Family Summit uh, section and they will see a range of uh, activities and work that we uh, have done and that we're currently doing. It will give them updates from the National Medical Association, the Black Nurses Association, the Association of Black Psychiatrists, Black Psychologists, the work that they are doing. They, they can get a good flavor and a feel for the various uh, professions and disciplines that comprise the Black Family Summit and how they are approaching this issue. 
Excellent. Well, we're unfortunately out of time, but we'd like to thank you, thank our guest, Leonard Dunstan, who is the convener of the Black Family Summit. And we also want to thank you for all of the hard work that you have done, that you continue to do. Uh, it is so needed. You are a model for many of us. So thank you for uh, all of your time and energy. And, and thank you for taking time to share that, share what you're doing, your wonderful organization is doing for the community. Well, thank you. And attorney Joyner, uh, attorney April. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We hope you have learned something and that you will communicate and share that information with your friends and family during this, what we know is a very challenging time for many. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleaglereview at nccu.edu. And as you know, you can also find this show on iTunes in podcast form. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed and engaged. Mm-hmm.